I remember growing up, the big thing on TV was the miniseries. Anybody remember that? The, you know, it's kind of like I've got to watch the miniseries. It's going to be Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday. Now it's like Netflix and you're binging something and it's, you know, whatever, however many episodes. Okay, I'm bringing you, this is an old school sermon series. We're concluding our mini-series this morning. The uh, three-week series, brief series of sermons we have done looking at some of the basics or the fundamentals of the vision of Spruce Creek, getting about as creative as I'm able to get. I called it 2020 vision. Kind of works with my 20, I have no idea vision what I have in my eyes, but The idea behind it is to be able to understand some of the basics of our church's vision so that we can accomplish our goal, that of making disciples of all nations. It's kind of like getting ready for spring training. As much as I love all sports, my all-time favorite sport is baseball. So, I mean, once the new year hits, I really get excited counting down for spring training. Okay, pitchers and catchers report in four weeks. That's how excited. I could tell you exactly when they report. Now, here's why spring training pertains to the sermon this morning. What do they do when the players go to spring training? Even though these are professional athletes, the batters start by hitting off a tee. They don't immediately get before 90 or 100 mile an hour pitching. The infielders relearn their basic positions, how to field a ground ball. Pitchers start with what's called short toss where they'll only be a few feet away tossing to gradually strengthen their arms. Now, why do they do this in this particular way? It is because building a good foundation on the basics or on the fundamentals is absolutely essential. Let me even word it, it's non-negotiable if you are going to go further in order to accomplish your goal. For a baseball player, the goal is win a World Series. For us, it is to fulfill, as best as we are able, the mandate, the commission Jesus gave his disciples, and by extension to us, I like how Rick worded that earlier, by extension to us, I'm going to start to use that, in his great commission. In Matthew chapter 28, the commission is worded, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go, which the text says, therefore as you are going. So therefore, as you are living your life at home, at work, at school, in your sphere of influence, whatever that may be, as you are going, you are to be involved making disciples of all nations. In other words, the vision, if you paid attention to the scripture reading that Rick read earlier in the service, the vision was never just for one nation. The vision was always for all the nations to be glad and joyful worshipers of the world's true Lord, Jesus Christ. Revelation 7-9 was always God's agenda, was always God's plan, that it would be people from every tongue and tribe and nation and people. That is our commission, to be God's instruments, to be God's uh, tools useful in accomplishing his mission, that of having every culture of the world worshiping him. Now, we're looking at three fundamentals, just to kind of describe what the series has been going. These three basics, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died for sinners to reconcile us to God and, com- and 
created in himself one new man, a community, a people for himself. So the good news, the gospel, leads to community, which leads to that community being a family on mission, God's mission for the renewal of the whole world. So we have spoken about the gospel, we have spoken about community, our focus this morning is on mission. God's mission to the world that he's using us for. So before we look at that, we're going to look at a fundamental text out of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let's pray, asking the Spirit of God to teach us and to transform us by his word. Father, we come before you, I come before you with great fear and trembling, um, that this is your word that you've spoken to us. Lord, change us. And I, I don't want to presume to know the ways you want to change us. But Lord, I pray that we'd be shaped as we come together into the light of your word. What a dangerous time this is for us. Because you don't leave us unchanged. My prayer was that it would be that, as the psalmist says, today if you hear his voice, that we would soften our hearts, not harden our hearts, as our forefathers, as our ancestors did when they rebelled against you. But I pray we would have soft, surrendered, teachable hearts, that we would be open to the ways you want to change us, both individually and corporately. So Lord, do a work within us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if you were able, I'd ask you to stand one more time for the reading of God's word, which is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Luke writes, and this is the second volume of his two-volume work, he says, in the first book, he's referring to the gospel, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So in other words, the book of Acts, the second volume, will be what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. A little bit about the book of Acts. The book of Acts records for us a true historical development of the early church. In other words, it focuses on the progress, the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, you will continue to read these summary statements if you read through uh, the book of Acts. If you happen to be reading through the book of Acts in our Spruce Creek Bible reading, you'll see oftentimes they'll say, and the word of God increased and multiplied, and the word of God 
went forward. In other words, what Luke is doing is basically outlining for us a historical development of the progress of the gospel. The expansion of the kingdom of God. The expansion of the rule and the reign, the lordship of God throughout the Mediterranean world. Now, one of the major themes of the book of Acts is the kingdom of God. A couple of verses, our focus this morning is going to be on verse 8, but just contextually, just to remind you a couple of things. Verse 3, to me, is one of the fascinating verses of this particular text, of this passage, where it talks about Jesus offered them many proofs of his risen self, and over a 40-day period, now think about this, we love our conferences, don't we? We have the Gospel Coalition and Together for the Gospel, and we have Ligonier and what they're offering and stuff. I just want you to picture this conference. 40 days, there's some stamina, okay? Sitting with Jesus, and it has one focus, because the text tells us, if you look at verse 3, what did Jesus do? He taught them about the kingdom of God. So that was the big picture. This wasn't Ligonier or Together for the Gospel. This was Jesus' Kingdom Conference. How would you have liked to have been at that one? I mean, that would be phenomenal, right? Who's your teacher? You know, is it one of the Sinclair Ferguson or somebody? No, it's Jesus. Not a bad conference. Okay? And yet, and this is where the disciples, they're, they're always encouraging me. Because they're encouraging me by their brokenness. They're encouraging me by their not getting it. And I'm going, what a relief. They don't get it, so I shouldn't put so much pressure on myself. So 40 days, they're at this conference talking about the kingdom of God. They have the Old Testament already, okay? They have the Old Testament that talks about the purpose of Israel. It's not for Israel to exist for itself, but for Israel to be a light to the nations, that God's vision is always a global vision, that let the peoples, meaning all the ethnos, the nations, be glad and worship God. Psalm 67. They have all that. They have Jesus' 40-day teaching. And yet, if you look at verse 6, they're still doing, ooh, ooh, Jesus, teacher, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's all about us, right? And Jesus is always marveling I always marvel at Jesus because of his patience. Okay, I'm afraid if it were me, I'd be like, oh, there you guys, go again. I'm so sick and tired of this question. But Jesus, so kindly, so patiently, yes, he confronts them, yes, he rebukes them, but he does so by giving us this foundational text, this foundational passage, this foundational verse of verse 8, where he says, but you will receive power. When the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now get this, yes, in Jerusalem, it's going to start there. But, like, John, I practiced this, like a centrifugal force moving outward. See, that's a physics thing, and I had to talk to my friend John here for a second to make sure I got that right. Going outward to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Did you catch that? Jesus is correcting them there. The power will lead you to be a witness, not just for Spruce Creek Church. In other words, we get it wrong if our program is just for ourselves, Because the power of the Holy Spirit is given to us to be Christ's witnesses, starting here, but moving outward. In other words, by definition, the church 
is a missional church by very identity, meaning we do not exist for ourselves. So this means fundamental self-examination questions as we enter into this text this morning. We should be asking ourselves, how does this ministry, whatever ministry it is, how does it serve to move us outward into our city, neighborhoods, community, and world? Are we looking at the needs of others, the culture of others? Are we studying the context to understand people's stories, their dreams, their hopes, their fears, their particular brokenness? Because we exist. In fact, Jesus had gotten them ready for this. He said to his disciples, as the Father is sending me, so have I sent you. That's the mission. The mission is simply empowered and sent to be Christ's witnesses. Now we learn three things in the text about the reality of that mission. We learn its community basis, its spirit empowerment, and its movement mindset. Community basis, spirit empowerment, and movement mindset. Okay, verse 8. First of all, it's community basis. And this is real interesting. In fact, I even confirmed the Greek with Rick. I studied Greek 30 years ago. He's studying it right now. So I was like, let me double check and triple check my work on this. And at least I haven't lost every brain cell. I was correct on this. So I'm thankful for that this morning. But when verse 8 says, you will receive power, that verb, you will receive, is a second person plural. In other words, Jesus is saying not only, it's a both and. Yes, individuals are empowered by the Holy Spirit, but he is speaking to the community and saying the community of God's people will receive power. Here's what that means by implication. Spruce Creek Church as a whole, as a community, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's a promise. This is being promised here. Jesus' program is for the community. He's building a Christian community. That's his interest. He is recreating a new society, a city set on a hill, an alternative community to reflect and be an agent of his kingdom. George Hunsberger, in the book Missional Church, speaks of the church representing the reign or kingdom of God. He says, the church represents the divine reign as its sign and foretaste, agent and instrument. He says, it is a sign and foretaste of God's redeeming purpose for the world. And as agent and instrument, it represents God's reign in an active sense. By its very existence, the church brings what is hidden into view as a sign and into experience as a foretaste. And at the same time, it also represents to the world the divine reign's character, claims, demands, and gracious gifts as its agents and instrument. Now, what does that mean? That means, yes, we as individuals go out and proclaim the gospel. We speak the words of truth to people. But it also means some of our fundamental evangelism and witness is done as a community, which means this practically. Two things. One, it takes the pressure off. You are not solely by yourself as an individual responsible for conversions and bringing people to Christ and all of that. It is not your job as an individual. You, plural, church, are, will receive power and are Christ's witnesses. 
So practically, and here comes some self-examination and application, what it means is fundamentally, one of the practical things is we should be asking ourselves, how am I gifted by the Holy Spirit, since I will receive power from the Spirit who will allow me to witness? How has the Spirit gifted me in order to be a witness? Because we all have different gifts. So here's a fundamental application question. If you've never asked yourself, what is my spiritual gift? That's a very specific thing you can do from this text and from this sermon. Some of us are gifted evangelists, and we ought to be out there proclaiming the gospel verbally with our words. Some of us, and read, I'm not one of these, have the gift of administration. So this is where Jeff needs help. You administrators, come talk to me, please. Have the gift of administrator and say, wait a second, let's take all of this vision, all of these ideas, and how do we strategically administrate this and boil it down? And guess what? You have the power from the Spirit to do that, and we need your help. Some of you have the gift of prayer, meaning you're not just a prayer warrior. You have the gift of prayer. Some of you have the gift of faith. God is weaving together a community. This is why I said this is its community basis. You will receive power. Spruce Creek has power. Are we applying that power? Are we living that power? See, this is very important for another reason for us to understand. This goes absolutely counter to our natural individualistic tendency. See, our nature is to do it ourselves. Our nature is to go it alone. Private. Strong, rugged individualist, autonomous. And as another writer put, he says, this actually comes out of history and comes out of the Enlightenment. He says, a primary goal of the Enlightenment, that period of history beginning around the 18th century, was to formulate a new basis for individual identity as the key to increasing personal freedom. Here's what he meant. He said, prior to the Enlightenment, your identity was always found communally. Family, clan, village. Who I was was, I'm a birch. I'm this. I belong to this neighborhood. I belong to this. And that's how identity was formulated. But he says, beginning with the Enlightenment, identity shifted from a communal to an individual. Who am I? I'm me. I do it. Didn't Frank Sinatra sing? I did it my way. See, some of you like that illustration. Okay? Autonomy. In the book of Acts, one of the things we see is the community basis. It was always God's will to bear witness to the world that he is building a covenant family. God's will is always relational and covenantal. He is building a family. And there are amazing ways that we reveal as a family the witness to God. Just to give you one is every Lord's Day when we worship. We are receiving power and witnessing in power to the fact that Jesus is Lord and not sports and not the latest vacation and not 
I may step on toes here, I may not. Our kids' soccer games or softball games or whatever. We are bearing witness that Jesus is Lord when we come to witness. We are communicating by the very fact that when people go through the here and they see cars parked in every church's parking lot, that Christ and not anything else is being exalted as Lord. That is a witness to the cosmic and global lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is part of the power that we have received. So that's the first point. Second, it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There's a spirit empowerment to mission. Now, we need to stop and pause and ask a question. When this talks about when the Holy Spirit comes on you, does that mean the Holy Spirit wasn't active and operative prior to this time? Was the Holy Spirit not active and operative in the saints, the Christians of the Old Testament? Absolutely not. That doesn't mean that. The Holy Spirit was active and operative in the Old Testament to mediate and apply the salvation that was to be brought historically by a future Savior. Okay, so the saints who lived in Isaiah's time and in Jeremiah's time and Ezekiel's time, they may not, not, they may not have known the name Jesus of Nazareth, but they knew that the only way they could be saved was through grace, through faith, by grace, through faith. And the Holy Spirit would take that redemption and apply it to them. But here, this is the Holy Spirit in a unique role and ministry as the Spirit of the risen and ascended and glorified Lord. This is the Spirit, as Jesus himself prophesied in John chapter 7, when he says, if any of you who are thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now notice this, let him come to me, come to Jesus and drink. And the promise is, rivers of, he who believes in me, rivers of living water, fountain of life is going to flow out from you, in other words, and impact others. So he gives this promise. If anyone is thirsty for significance and love and connection and meaning and hope in life, I'm the source of all that. I'm the source of redemption. I'm the source of forgiveness, Jesus is saying. I'm the source of everything involved in salvation. Come to me and drink. And this promise is rivers of living water. You're going to be so full that life is going to flow from within you and witness to others. Now John stops and he pauses and he narrates this and says, oh, by this, Jesus meant the Spirit, who, was, who had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So in other words, when Jesus says, come to me and drink, this is his Spirit, the Spirit of the glorified Lord that is poured out to empower the church for their job as witness. And do you know what kind of power that that is? Paul wrote to Timothy, and I love this is, to me, such a, a great verse, because Timothy struggled with fear and timidity. And I want to challenge us here for a second. So do we. You may think you're bold and tough. No. We're all fearful. We're all timid. The first step to gospel awakening is admit your fear and your lack of trust and your suspicion. You're afraid of being stained by the world. You're afraid of being touched by the world. You're afraid that if you get too enmeshed, too involved, it might impact. You're afraid of trusting. You're afraid of making a mistake. 
The first step to gospel awakening is to admit we're fearful, timid, suspicious people. And then to receive the gospel promise that Paul told Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. So in other words, the call is to repent. He gave us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And what is that power used for? As we will see in just a minute, it propels us outward in witness. It propels us outward in witness. And that brings us to the last point. Look at the rest of verse 8. This movement mindset. It says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, we need to recognize that the gospel is a living power. You know, we're going to return to Romans next week and the beginning of Romans chapter 1. says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is. Doesn't say it describes. Doesn't say it is about. It says it is the power of God for salvation. That means every time the gospel is spoken, every time the gospel is preached, it is doing something in our lives. It is drawing us near or it's repelling. For some of us, we may not... We may be in such denial we don't even know the ways we're putting up walls to keep ourselves safe from the gospel. We may not even recognize the way we're putting, up ourselves, putting walls up that are basically saying, I'm not changing my lifestyle. I'm not doing things differently. I'm not daring to think differently. I'm not adopting a different paradigm. The gospel is a living power that is constantly moving and infiltrating our minds, our hearts, and our lives. And the purpose of that is so that the gospel can reach all peoples, all cultures, transforming them according to God's kingdom purposes. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says, in Jerusalem, so starting where, and moving outwards to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is a fulfillment of what Jesus said in his parables when he said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field though it's the smallest of all seeds looks so insignificant we might say what in the world is God doing through us we may start as small as a mustard seed but yet when it grows it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches now we have these promises. You will receive power from the Spirit and the power to witness. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. Now one of the ways we put up walls to the gospel, the gospel may be moving and you may be uncomfortable hearing that. But one of, and one of the ways we put up walls is by not being his witnesses. His witnesses together. What are some of the ways we as a church can apply this. Well, one of the ways is to promote and encourage all of us, members, to always be beginning, launching, and participating in new ministries. I remember taking a course in seminary on the doctrine of the church, and one of the books Harvey Kahn required for us to read was called The Church Unleashed. Now, I don't remember all that the book says, so don't run out and get it. But I do remember the title because it gave me a great picture from this passage. We are to be an unleashed church. 
Think about it. Why ought we not be starting all sorts of ministries? If we're to do it as a community, do it together, why are we so afraid of messing up and making mistakes? Do we not believe the gospel? Is Jesus' blood not sufficient to cleanse us from everything? Do we think we're going to mess up his kingdom? Do we really think we can... I started a ministry and it fell. Oh my goodness, it's terrible. It's doing... Jesus' kingdom is not going to prevail anymore. I've brought the whole kingdom down. Do we really think we can do that? I would love for us to have a go-for-it mentality that would say... I'm going to participate in this ministry, and if nobody comes, so be it. I'll start something new. Or, Jeff challenged me earlier, the Word of God says if I have power from the Spirit, part of that power is seen in what am I gifted at. I'm not sure what I'm gifted at. Maybe I'm going to test these gifts. I think I might have a gift over here. Let me see and participate something using that gift. Oh, didn't work. Okay. Let me go over here and start this and try. What do you have to lose? Didn't Jesus say something like, upon this rock I will build my church and oh, the gates of hell will not prevail against her? And yet we think, upon this rock I will build my church, but if I start something new and I participate, up the whole thing's coming crashing down. One of the things I'm very practically calling us to do is repent of our fear and unbelief. To really believe that, yes, God wants to use even us. Maybe God wants to do something really radical through us. Like what? Plant a church, maybe? And you go, how could we plant a church? There's only, what, 130 of us? Oh, yeah, so if we did something like, huh, let's think about this. Work as a community. We're a connectional church work with, say, the presbytery to get an apprentice in here, to work for two years, equipping, starting a mission strategy, do this, that since our community is bigger than just our local church, we believe we're connected to the presbytery, we could work and do that. That apprentice can work for two years developing the mission strategy, train a core group of us, and send us out. And again, here's, here's where fear comes in. Fear says things like, We don't have the money to do that. Fear says things like, what would happen if 30 or 40 of us left to plant a church? And now we went from 130 to 90. God couldn't, we couldn't survive with that. Fear says, faith says, what is our identity? You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. For the purpose of witnessing, Volusia County alone has a half a million people with three PCA churches, of which we're the largest. That ought to call call us to about a six-month period of prayer and fasting, repenting for our unbelief to reach out into this community. A half a million people and only three PCA churches. So what if we fail? Let's go for it. We may, have, we may have fun going for it. Do you not believe we serve an adventurous God? Here comes the C.S. Lewis. Is he safe? Absolutely he's not safe. He's not a tame God. But he's good. Do we trust that goodness? This is the spirit of Christ who loved us, who gave himself for us, to conform us to himself so that we would be conformed to 
the picture and the pattern of the cross. The cross is all about sacrifice. The cross is all about giving. The the cross is all about forgetting ourselves and living for others. The cross is all about not my will, but your will be done. The cross is all about a grain of seed falling into the ground and dying so that it may produce many seeds. Is that what our ministry looks like? Is that the pattern and the paradigm for our ministry? Because if it's not, we are not applying the power that God has given us through the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Father, these are promises. This is who we are. Help us to be who we are. I don't know the way. I just threw out a suggestion. I don't know if this is your will or not. But I pray, Father, that we would at least listen to your spirit through your word and say, does our life together reflect this pattern? Are we cruciform? Are our lives and the pattern of our ministry conform to that of the cross? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.